I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a first year, first time teacher. You've been in a couple classrooms, you're good with kids, but now it's all on you. And you have to be the one that's responsible for motivating, guiding, and teaching 25 or so young people. I want you to imagine that half of those young people are getting the only meal they're going to get that day from you, from the school that you work at. And that's the only meals they're going to get. The breakfast that you served them and the lunch that you served them while they're under your care. And I want you to ask yourself, how at that point is anyone supposed to care about learning reading, writing, and arithmetic when the only thing on their mind is how are they going to eat and where is that next meal going to come from? My name is Dustin Watson, and you're about to listen to the Non-Traditional Teachers Podcast. I hope that first section didn't bum you out too bad, folks. My name is Dustin Watson. As I said, this is the Non-Traditional Teachers Podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for listening at the uh, for the first episode that was recorded. And I hope that you will subscribe, add a comment. I'm going to start adding some posts, uh, some polls, and some other items to the podcast homepage. And some better show notes, or in this case, show notes altogether, about the episodes as they are recorded. I will also hammer out a more consistent podcast schedule as time goes on. So let's talk for a few minutes about what the real challenge for a new teacher is going to be. And in my mind, that challenge has got to be twofold. One, we have to believe that we're going to make a difference in kids' lives, because I truly do believe we can, and we do. And two, we have to work hard to understand what the kids that we are teaching have to face. So let's begin with our belief. I was a journalist for 10 years before I was a teacher, as I believe I said in the very first episode, and I'll say it a thousand times, and my students are quite used to hearing me say it as well. And the thing I considered myself to be as a journalist was one, the guardian of public money, and two, someone who was going to make a difference in the community in which I chose to live. When I got the opportunity to become a teacher at age 37, I decided that that was the best opportunity for me to still make a big difference and to shape the future of our world. And I decided that teaching was going to help me shape that future of the world far more than journalism ever would. One, my journalism circulation of the newspaper in which I was the sports news and managing editor over my decade there was only between two to three thousand human beings in 
a county of 10,000 human beings. And yes, I had a website that reached, could reach billions of people if, if it were promoted properly and it were filled with content that had a broad enough appeal. But each day, I have the privilege and the pleasure of teaching 125 or more young people and helping to shape them for the future. I want you to think about that, y'all. Think about the impact that you can have on your future, on the future of this planet, on the future of the human race, through the kids that you teach. It's a pretty big change if we can do it. But I got bad news for us guys and gals and everyone else. You got to believe it too. Because these kids can see through fake from a mile away. Why is that? So I can't recommend a book for you enough. It's called Emotional Poverty in All Demographics by Ruby Payne. And I have been blessed to have been to the training at least twice. Um, Once on my own and then my district has used some of our professional development days this year for it. And, And one of the biggest lessons that I took from it is the idea that the way we say things to people is just as important as the content of the message. And I know this kind of ties back into the first segment about being real with your students, or at least as real as you can be and still be professional. I guess there's a fine line you've got to walk there, but I still feel like it's one that we have to walk. Uh, For years in my class, I used what I called a three-on-three to get my students' attention. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not, a good piece of advice from me is that if you do not have an attention getter you're using in your class, have one. It's a great way to let your students know that you're here, that you need their attention, you need their eyes, their ears, and for them to be paying attention to you. I use something called a three-on-three. When I would say three-on-three, my classes would clap their hands together in unison three times, and everyone would be quiet and look at me. It was kind of nice. But after attending the emotional poverty training, I realized that that clapping sound for someone who has been abused could be a trauma trigger that would cause them to have a very bad time. Do you ever think about that? How much of our everyday life could potentially be a trigger for someone that might be hampering their education, that might be hampering their life? I changed this year to me simply just raising my hand and saying my time. And you know what? It's just as effective as my clapping was. I consider classroom management to be one of my strengths, but classroom management also has to consider who your kids are and the needs that they have. So I ask you, just as a professional, as an educator, as someone who genuinely got into this business because you care about kids, what can we do as educators, as professionals, to eliminate some of the trauma triggers from our teaching. Um, I'll give you a second example. I'm not a massive yeller. I'm a loud, loud person. Don't get me wrong. But I'll give you an example of that too. You can hear me teach well across this building. I'm a loud human being. But I don't yell 
at my kids. Now, my basketball team, they will be yelled at. But my students in my classroom, I don't really yell at. Matter of fact, in six years, I've yelled once. And those kids, when they graduated high school, were still talking about it, um, which I find very funny. Regardless, when's the last time a kid was having trouble and you just had a conversation with them? See, when a kid doesn't know how to read, we teach them to read. When a kid doesn't know how to do math, we teach them how to do math. When a kid doesn't know how to behave, we, ah, yes, we punish them. When's the last time you had a conversation with a kid who was messing up in your class? When's the last time you asked an administrator or someone who knows the kid's family what their life is actually like outside of your class? Now, I know what you're thinking, Coach. I do not have the time in my day to research 30 kids' home lives and 30 kids' different trauma triggers and 30 kids' individual needs for education. Okay, that's fair, man. I got a lot to do, too. Currently working on a specialist degree. I'm working at being a, uh, I played my first pro qualifier event for the card game Flesh and Blood a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still working to get better at that. I'm still raising kids. I'm still taking care of my relationships at home. I I update my grades at least twice a day during the week. So, I mean, I'm with you on being busy, folks, but think about that kid. You know who I'm talking about, that kid. That kid who's always in trouble. That kid who's always messing up. That kid who can't seem to get their head out of their bottoms. Full disclosure, I'm recording this with my study hall sitting in here, and they are pointing at a student, and I'm trying really hard not to laugh. So, when's the time, last time you took the opportunity to get to know them? But coach... They annoy me so much. They're always causing a disturbance. There's always a problem. I know. Why don't you solve it? Or at least try to. Can I solve every kid's problem in this building I'm sitting in right now? God, no. But can I try? Yeah. And after a while, if you try and try and nothing happens, okay. Maybe you need to move on. As I've talked about on this podcast before, I'm a big pro wrestling guy. And uh, one of the greatest pro wrestlers of all time was the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, baby. And the Dream was one of the most creative people ever. If you have not seen his Hard Times promo, look it up on YouTube. Well worth the view. Dusty loved working with other talent. And he loved making people. That's something in wrestling that that the top guys don't normally like doing. But Dusty loved it. But if you were 6'3", chiseled out of granite, could talk, could could wrestle all day long, Dusty couldn't do much for you. Because, you know, as he would have said, the good Lord done took care of you, baby. But if you were just a little pudgy, maybe you couldn't talk very well. Dusty loved to work with you. He called you a broken toy and he'd fix you love fixing broken toys and we as teachers need to in my mind find a couple of those broken toys and see if we can help fix them the hardest part though y'all is going to be knowing when that broken toy can't be repaired
So outside of actually being legitimate in front of your students, what are some other items that may be holding back the kids in front of you from actually engaging with the lessons you've worked so hard to prepare? And to answer that, like many things, I have to tell you a story. So when I worked at the newspaper, I was approached by a principal from my local school district who informed me that she was going to be doing a very special presentation to the Board of Education about poverty in the area. Now, we all assume that there's some level of poverty and that there are some kids who are not getting what they need from their home lives, but it's a bigger problem than you think, especially in rural areas. But I, know, I would guess it's just as big in cities as well. She showed me a presentation before she showed it to the board and it blew my mind. This administrator went into a local family's home and took pictures and videos and what she showed everyone was uh, an awakening to be completely honest with you. She showed the wood stove that was in the middle of the living room area of the house and on top of it set about a three gallon water heater. And you could see the pipes going out of the water heater to the different areas of the house. She then showed us the shower or what passed for a shower. It was a kid's pool with a garden hose on, uh, for the actual spigot. And the drain literally just was drilled or uh, cut into the floor and drained under the house this was their shower. The father would buy excess fabric from a local uh, manufacturing company and would lay down in it and his wife would trace him and then he'd roll over and she'd trace him again. And then they'd cut that out and sew it together to make coveralls for him so he had something to wear to work. The kids had their meager toys in shoeboxes, one or two each maybe. And their clothes were also just kept in cardboard boxes when they were clean. A lot of the board members questioned whether or not that could be in their community. But there's more people like that in your community than you think, too. So this is another one of those challenges like we talked about in the cold opening, where you have to consider what the other time the kids spend that aren't the eight hours with you might look like. In the 80s, we called we were called latchkey kids, the kids that got sent home to unlock our own house and come in and sit and wait until the parent came home from work, usually at about five, six o'clock. But now, I think that would even be someone who was lucky in many cases. So how do we get a kid who is basically raising themselves to care about Shakespeare, to care about the quadratic formula, to care about cell division? That's the challenge, isn't it, teachers? And I don't have a magic bullet. I wish I did. 
what we talked about in the first segment of being real with your kids when you talk to them and talk about them and and try to teach them things is is a good first step because again kids see through fake completely and totally every time within usually a minute or two i think the real next step for us as educators has to be to understand the traumas that our students face and have faced and how we can recognize these and help them to overcome. So my background is actually in business. Uh, As I said, I was a journalist for 10 years and as a manager, my, my bachelor's degree is in business administration. And as a manager, one of the lessons you learn in the world of business that I think needs to be carried over to the world of education is as follows. You have to know when to let someone fail. Yeah. But coach, you're saying, what about no child left behind and every child succeeds? What about the kids with IEPs? What about the kids with the 504s? Nothing in any of those plans say they have to have an A or even have to pass. If a child refuses to do the work, what option do you have left? Failure. That can be hard because, again, you're trying to understand what makes the kid tick. You're trying to understand how you can fix your broken toy. But sometimes you can't do it. That's really hard. Sometimes you really want to fix your broken toy and it just won't get back together. This is especially hard for those of us that come from... Actually, let me alter that. I think it's probably even easier for those of us that come from the business world into education. Because in business, people are allowed to fail all the time. Unless you're banks, I guess. About as political as this show is going to get, folks. Anyway, you've got, in the business world, there's always an opportunity to just measure your sunk costs, figure out how much you're invested into someone, and see if you need to go ahead and make a change and then make it. Not too hard to figure out. But I can't fire a kid from my classroom. I can't suspend a student on my whims as a classroom teacher. No, I have to still try to figure out how to do this. This is where you have to decide the answer to this question in your world, because your world is different than my world. Your world is going to be your world, but you're going to have to answer this question for your world. When does the need of your problem child, your broken toy, outweigh the needs of the other 25 kids in that room? Now I'm pretty blessed. My biggest class is 24 kids here at a very rural school district but how many how much are you going to sacrifice how many hours of educational input for other kids are you going to sacrifice the old joke about it public education system is that um, we're all just teaching to the middle and then the highest and lowest are lost I don't think that's good enough and I hope you don't either How do we then bring everyone back in? And that's when we have to decide how much time we really have to spend. And it's hard because you get to know that kid. You get to know what their traumas are, what makes them tick. 
they're still a kid and they can still make a garbage choice. An old colleague of mine, when I was at the newspaper, he was the athletic director and head football coach uh, at one of my schools, my very first AD and football coach at one of my big schools. And he said, there's no such thing as a bad kid. There's just bad choices. And he was right. No kid is actually bad. They're just not making good choices. And in some cases, you can't even blame them. Third, fourth generation poverty. No food at the house. No adult who cares about them. But you can't sacrifice every other kid's education because you're just going to get stubborn and try to save that kid. That's why this is a hard job. That's why this is a skill we have to work on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Non-Traditional Teachers Podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening. If you have not yet, please like, subscribe, share, comment, all those good things help out with a new podcast getting going. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, let me know. Leave a comment. I would love to visit with people. And just thank you so much for listening to the Non-Traditional Teachers Podcast. I've been Dustin Watson. Thank you for your time.